This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on Africa News Tonight... We have considerable issues with the, the use of uh, military courts uh, and trying civilians in, um, in military courts because there aren't the procedures of the fair trial procedures which we would expect. That's Jerry, uh, Jeremy Lawrence, spokesman for the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights on Tunisia's deepening crackdown against perceived political opponents. Details coming up. Also, floods swamp parts of South Africa. Malawi launches a campaign against a record cholera outbreak. And Kenya is sending troops to contain deadly cattle rustlers and bandits. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, deplores the ongoing erosion of Tunisia's independent judiciary and the rule of law as the government escalates its clampdown on dissent. Lisa Schlan reports from Geneva. The United Nations Human Rights Office reports at least nine people, including former civil servants, have been arrested on security and graft charges since Saturday. This solicited a stiff rebuke of the government by UN Rights Chief Volker Turk. His spokesman, Jeremy Lawrence, says the High Commissioner is concerned over the deepening crackdown against perceived political opponents and civil society in Tunisia. He says the High Commissioner warns the measures Tunisian authorities use to stifle dissent continue to undermine the independence of the judiciary. The UN Human Rights Office has also observed that the general prosecutor has increasingly initiated criminal proceedings against perceived opponents, charging them with conspiracy against, against state security, causing offence to the head of state, or violating the decree law to fight cybercrime. Since July 2021, Tunisia's president, Kai Saeed, has tightened his grip on power through measures aimed at weakening the judiciary's independence. For example, he has dissolved the High Judicial Council and last summer summarily dismissed 57 judges. Lawrence says his office is concerned that some people held on charges connected to criticizing the government have been tried in military courts. He says his office has raised these concerns with the Tunisian authorities. We have considerable issues with the, the use of uh, military courts uh, and trying civilians in, um, in military courts because there aren't the procedures of the fair trial procedures which we would expect within the human rights uh, boundaries that, that are applied. The UN Human Rights Office is calling on the Tunisian authorities to respect due process and fair trial standards and for all civilian cases to be tried in civilian court. It also is calling for the immediate release of all people who have been detained for exercising their rights to freedom of opinion or expression. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. 
South Africa's government has declared a state of emergency after floods caused by heavy rains killed at least 12 people and damaged homes, roads and bridges. According to the French news agency AFP, several provinces in the east, north and south have been hardest hit, among them Mpumalanga in the southeast and Kruger National Park. With several rivers that cross Kruger well swelling, several camps were evacuated as a precaution. The South African Weather Service says some areas have seen more than 20 centimeters of rain in one day. It says the deluge is expected to last for the rest of the week. Health rights campaigners in Malawi are welcoming a national campaign against a record cholera outbreak, which has killed nearly 1,400 people. President Lazarus Chakuera launched the campaign yesterday, pledging to reduce the transmission and mortality rate of the waterborne illness. Lamik Masina reports from Blantyre. Malawi is grappling with its West cholera outbreak in recent memory, which has now affected all the country's 29 districts. President Lazarus Chakuera said the spread is largely because of people in the country are not following good hygiene practices. And because behaviors are not changing, the situation has become dire. So far, over 1,300 funerals have happened around the country because of cholera. And the disease is still spreading at alarming rate. We are getting between 500 to 600 cholera cases every day in our health facilities throughout the country. The campaign known as Titetse Cholera or Let's End Cholera would focus on repairing of water kiosks across the country and helping people construct toilets in their homes. Chakwela said statistics show that about 40% of Malawians do not have toilets and instead use the bush to relieve themselves. Several organizations in Malawi have long been running campaigns against the practice of open defecation, but with little result. We are human beings with dignity, not animals that can just use any place as a toilet. If any place is not a toilet, don't treat it as a toilet. And a toilet is not something that is given to you by government or something that is donated from abroad or something that comes down from heaven. It is something you give yourself as a human being because you respect yourself. Health authorities say they hope the campaign will help reduce the cholera fatality rate from the current 3.6% to 1%. Health rights campaigner George Jobe welcomes the campaign, but says the government should go further by ending myths and misinformation associated with the outbreak. Jobe is also the executive director for the Malawi Health Equity Network. He cited two recent incidents in Lilongwe and Balaga districts where angry members of the community assaulted medical workers and vandalized public health facilities, forcing them to close. The community members accused the medical workers of deliberately infecting patients with cholera-infested vaccines. The current cholera seems to be different from the previous uh, outbreaks of uh, cholera just because the current one was preceded by COVID-19. And we shall continue to provide uh, some pieces of advice to government that um, when we are doing awareness raising, we must be mindful that uh, we are also fighting with the residues of uh, COVID-19. President Chakwera 
ordered the reopening of the closed healthy facilities and assured the health workers that they would receive maximum security. In the meantime, the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and United Nations have pledged their support toward the success of the cholera campaign. Rebecca Tonto is the United Nations resident coordinator in Malawi. The United Nations is currently in the process of preparing a multi-sector cholera flash appeal to increase the capacity of the UN and NGOs to support the government of Malawi. It will be launched next week. Local media have reported that Malawi needs an additional 40 million US dollars for an effective cholera response. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. The head of the Somali Journalist Syndicate has vowed to work without self-censorship after a court found him guilty of flouting government orders. Abdullah Ahmed Mumin was arrested in October for rejecting the government's demand to refer to al-Shabaab militants only as Kawarji, which is Arabic for dissenters of Islam. He was sentenced to two months in prison Monday, but immediately released. Ahmed Mohammed reports from the Somali capital, Mogadishu. Abdullah Ahmed Mumin said prison officials freed him after informing him that previous arrests and court appearances had compensated for the two months handed down by the judge. He told VOA that the court verdict has emboldened his resolve to fight for the media rights and freedoms in Somalia. He said, I vowed that what happened yesterday will not instill fear in me. It will not disappoint me at any cost, but instead will encourage me. He said, it has given me the strength and attitude to know how important my work is. Momin said the prison sentence he received was a warning from the government to journalists in Somalia. He said the ruling of the court is intimidation and a message to Somali journalists reporting issues that government does not like. It's a message that says not to report human rights abuses and problems in the country. Deputy Information Minister Abdurrahman Al-Adala told viewers that the court acted without influence from the government. He added that the government was in no way in conflict with the media. He said no mindset, responsibility or law allows us to conflict with the journalists. We are there to defend them. He said we are also here to defend them against the Khawarij and other enemies that harm them. Following Mumin's sentencing, media organizations in Somalia expressed concern that government decreases will now receive judicial parking at the expense of their freedom and independence. Mohamed Usman Makaran is the general secretary of the Somali Media Association, an umbrella of media houses. Makaran says the verdict will have an impact on the media. We expect that if a journalist is accused, he will get justice. But today's sentence of Mumin is one of being criticized by the independent media and media watchdogs. Makaran said the recent decrease by the government, including a ban on the term Ashabab and restricting coverage of the group's activities, 
have adversely impacted the work of journalists in Somalia. He said, due to the decisions by the government, some of the independent media houses have expressed fear and concern in recent days. This has caused them not to report some incidents related to violations, including some committed by government forces. The Somali government has been at odds with the media since the passage of a 2018 media law that journalists say is oppressive. Many journalists have also decried decrees by the government concerning the ongoing campaign against Al-Shabaab. They want that abiding by the government directives further expose them to attacks by the militant group, which has killed many journalists over the years. Ahmed Mohamed, for VOA News, Mugadishu, Somalia. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. There are fears some Nigerian voters might be intimidated on election day, leading to election manipulation. But police and electoral officials say the voting later this month should be successful. Mike Mbonier reports from Port Harcourt. The head of Nigeria's electoral body, the Independent National Electoral Commission, or INEC, says the commission is determined to conduct peaceful, free and fair elections. Chairman Mahmoud Yakubu has said the commission has all the necessary arrangements in place to hold successful elections on February 25th and March 11. Despite those assurances, an African affairs expert has some reservations about the Nigerian elections. Christopher Isike is a professor of African politics and international relations at the University of Pretoria, South Africa. No, no, no matter how well-intentioned the INEC um, and its chair may be, INEC is staffed by people, many Nigerians, many of who have a propensity to sabotage the commission's good work because of their personal greed, ethnic and religious sentiments that drive how politics is seen and played in Nigeria. We can only hope the human factor doesn't compromise the elections in this regard. Speaking via WhatsApp, Isike says... He is worried that voters could be intimidated by ruling parties in the states. He notes, more people have obtained their permanent voter cards or PVCs. The whole electioneering process has indicated that this election has generated a lot more interest than used to be the case. For example, there is a significant increase in the number of registered voters and those who have collected their PVCs. My concern is whether they will actually turn on on election day to reclaim their country or whether they will succumb to the voter intimidation and voter suppression antics of the ruling party in some states. Isike says he's also worried about security, especially safety of the people. There have been attacks on some INEC offices around the country and some regions have seen scores of attacks by militant groups or criminal gangs. Muiwa Adejobi, a chief superintendent of police and spokesperson of the Nigerian police says they are ready to ensure peaceful polls. We are ready. We have done what we should. We have done our operation order to capture deployment, admin, enforcement of the law, and what have you. We have incorporated all relevant security agencies into the committee to manage this election. The, the body called ISIS, Interagency Consultative Committee on Election Security, is put here by the IGP. Another security agencies are members of this committee. Adejobi says the police have deployed officers to areas that are prone to attack, 
based on threat analysis. Isike, also the director of African Center for the Study of United States at the University of Pretoria, says the election is critical to the future of Nigeria and Africa. As Africa's biggest democracy with over 90 million potential voters, the election is a litmus test or a signpost of whether democracy is backsliding or advancing or consolidating in Africa and, you know, to an extent, the world. He says the international community is interested in the Nigerian elections because they want the process to be credible and the people allowed to vote for their candidates. This is Mike Mbonye for VOA News in Portacot, Nigeria. The World Health Organization says it will hold an emergency meeting today after at least nine people died in Equatorial Guinea of Marburg hemorrhagic fever, which can cause severe bleeding and organ failure. Another 16 people have shown potential symptoms. The country's health ministry declared a health alert yesterday in Kaintem province and the neighboring Mongomo district, as well as lockdown plan affecting 4,325 people. The French news agency AFP said the government is investigating the cause of the suspected cases in the forested eastern region near the borders of Gabon and Cameroon. The natural cause of the Marburg virus is a cousin of Ebola, is the African fruit bud, which can transmit the disease to humans who then pass it on to others. The WHO says there are no vaccines or antiviral treatments for the virus, though potential treatments are being evaluated. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has wrapped up a five-nation trip to five Arab and African countries seeking to expand Moscow's influence while Western nations have been trying to isolate his country with sanctions after its invasion of Ukraine. His tour took him to Iraq, Mauritania, Mali, South Africa before finishing in Sudan. Mark Katz, professor of government and politics at George Mason University, discussed with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El-Shanawi how Russian diplomacy is seeking to break its isolation by expanding opportunities in Africa. Well, you know, much to the chagrin of the West, Africa and uh, many Arab countries, others in the non-West, have been a lot more sympathetic toward uh, Russia with regard to the war in Ukraine. They might not support what Russia is doing in Ukraine, but they don't want Russia to lose. They like about Russia is that Russia gives security assistance without bothering about human rights or democracy or anything like this, whereas Western countries are, to some extent, more interested and getting these governments to reform, to make compromises, and they don't want to do that. So a lot of them like dealing with Russia. They like the way that Wagner in particular violently presses opposition to these governments. While Lavrov was in town, Khartoum was also hosting envoys from the U.S., Britain, France, and other countries trying to play a role in Sudan's transition to civilian rule. Lavrov said, Western delegations are following our steps and trying to hinder our efforts towards having a multipolar world. How do you explain this statement? Well, this is really quite funny, it seems to me. I'm sure these delegations were probably in the works, you know, before Lavrov decided to visit these places. I don't think that they're deliberately 
following him. What I do think, though, is that if Lavrov favors a multipolar world, it means it's a world in which the different great powers are competing for influence in the other countries. And so it strikes me that uh, that's exactly what the West is doing, as well as with Russia. And if Russia doesn't want them doing that, then it must not be interested in the multipolar world, but it wants to have Africa for its own private reserve, it seems to me. So I, I think that the argument that Lavrov's making is illogical. Plus, it seems to me that uh, African governments, you know, they have agency themselves. They like the idea of being courted by the West and courted by Russia, courted by China. They don't want to give up this uh, freedom of action. Russia apparently aims to present itself as a continent's security broker and project the image of a defender of Africa. We can see that Mali's growing ties with Russia have coincided with a breakdown in relations with France. And last year, the rift led Paris to withdraw all of its troops who had been battling extremists since 2013. Lavrov also offered support for Mauritania in the fight against extremist groups in the Sahel when he met President Mohamed Welchir in Nouakchut. What do you make of that? Well, indeed, several African governments, which had been former French colonies, seem to be increasingly uh, at odds with France. And I think that they like the idea of sticking it in the eye of the French by turning to the Russians, that the Russians will do things that the French won't do for them. I think the real problem is, though, the Russians have not been able to actually resolve any conflict. If they're a security broker, I can't think of of an instance in which they actually resolved any conflict, nor have they managed to defeat any opposition to any state either. In fact, it might not be in their interest, because if, in fact, the opposition is eliminated, then there might not be any further need for uh, Wagner to be in those particular countries. So I think that it's really a very self-interested policy. And I think, you know, for uh, very unfortunate reasons, uh, a lot of African governments and uh, the public in many African states right now sees their interests as somehow aligned with Russia. But I think the real question is, will this uh, be successful in the long term? In other words, that presumably they're going to want Russia to actually do something for them. And if it can't, I don't see how they're not going to grow Uh, as disillusioned with Russia as they were with France. That was Mark Katz, professor of government and politics at George Mason University, speaking with VOA's Mohamed El-Shanawi. The Kenyan government says it will send troops to the drought-stricken north to contain cattle rustlers and bandits who have killed scores of people. According to the French news agency AFP, more than 100 civilians and 16 Police officers have died in the northern Rift Valley region over the past six months. The Interior Ministry says gangs have burned down schools, police vehicles, and other social amenities. In response, it has announced a national emergency and called on citizens to hand over firearms over the next three days. The government also says that, subject to Parliament's approval, the Kenya Defense Force will be deployed tomorrow in support of the National Police Service in response to the growing incidents of banditry. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhid in Washington. 
For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Nashwan Kali, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays.